welcome to What. It is the part documentary, part roundtable podcast with just a little sprinkling of competition. I'm your host, Ellie Main, and joining me, as I have every week, is Chelsea Harfouche. Chelsea, you just got back from a little trap. Yes, it was incredible. Where'd you go? What'd you do? We went to Galveston. Oh, the beautiful Texas coast. We went to the beautiful Texas coast. <laughs> it was amazing. Some of us were brave enough to swim in the water. And some of us were our guest this week, Alex Perez. Sure. Longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> Welcome, Alex. Thank you for joining us. Hi, and hello. And thank you for having me. So you were at the beach also such as? I was, but I did not get in the water because I was nappy boy. <laughs> I was, he was a little I, nap. I was just like horizontal on that sofa. That sounds incredible. Uh, but I arrived right as they were getting out. And then when I got to the beach, they said, let's leave. And I said, okay. <laughs> Yes, I have done all I needed to do here. Thank you. Good day. Something that really fed who I am as a person is that we were out in the water and no one else was brave enough to because it was like 62 degrees outside the water. (laughs) 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 A wind advisory. Yeah. I actually found that it was warmer in the water. Well, probably once once you kind of. Once you're in there. Yeah, once you got over the, like, hyperventilation stage, and then, like, it became actually warmer in the water. And that is a stage that I like to have in my hobbies. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know. Don't speak to me. You went up on the top of that tower thing. I do that all the time. In Toronto? In Toronto. Don't speak to me. I think about how, like, if my boss asked me to do that, I would simply no longer have a job. No. Gosh, it was awesome. (laughs) You could see, like, the curvature of the earth and stuff. Jesus Christ. Anyway, (laughs) so we got in the water and we were like wave jumping and we were like having fun. Yeah. And Surf Rescue drove their little Surf Rescue truck over to us (laughs) to get out and signal to us that uh, we needed to come out of the water because we were too close. Too close to to, what? I don't know, the wind, the waves. (laughs) They had deemed it unsafe. Getting too close to nature. Too close to ocean. (laughs) And uh, they told us that we had to get out. And I was like, oh, I get it. It's dangerous for other people. And then we all got our tarot read today. Oh, spooky. And it was a really intense experience for everyone. Oh. I mean, you know how I feel about tarot, which is that I'm pro. Sure. Yes. But, you know, sometimes you go to those things and it feels like, especially like if you get readings with like where other people also get readings, and then you guys kind of compare afterwards, and it feels like everybody has a version of like you know you have seen some things, but now you're not going to see those things anymore, except for when you always see them, right? And then you're going to really like build on that, and you're like, okay, well that's so general that it could be for anyone. That could be yeah anything. <laughs> Yeah, it could be anything. You're like, well, you've just described literally everything. Yeah. So thank you. But no, this reader, uh, she was fantastic. Every single one of our experiences was so wildly different and like weirdly attuned to us. And I will say one person that was on the group, this was the wildest thing is like they went in and they came out and they were crying and we were like, wow, like what did she read? What did she see? Death. No, he was like, she didn't even do a tarot reading. She just asked me if I wanted to speak to my grandma. Whoa. And we were like, what and he was like yeah and then she said all these things or his his grandma did to her that like she could not have known wild yeah it was absolutely wild that's spooky alex was that you it was very good it was not but i will say the most wild thing that happened to mine was before she started the tarot card reading it began with the law and order dun dun and then she kind (laughs) of went in 
uh, she'd asked me about a uh, Dick Wolf sweatshirt that was present. And uh, we really kind of chatted about Law and Order for a while. Yeah, And I felt bonded to her. It was a a special moment. Wow, what an emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for Celia, her reading began with the woman telling her that she's been banned. Not she, Celia, but she, the woman, has been banned (laughs) from Twitter. And then she would not elaborate. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Why does really really weird stuff happen to Celia like that? I (laughs) <laughs> and Celian was the first one to go. So when she came out and there was like not enough time for her to tell us about her reading, but we were like, what was it like? And she was like, she's banned from Twitter. Go. Don't, don't ask questions. Go in. Go. Go, 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 go. That's fantastic. That was great. Also, Alex, uh, in addition to being my only friend from high school that I still keep in contact with because uh, you're the best one, you're a longtime listener of the podcast and now mm. you're on the other side of the mic. How does it feel? <laughs> Bizarre scary and very exciting Ugh, i just want to do good for the two of you you're doing Aww. so good sweetie and other <laughs> oh whatchamacallits God, amazing sweetie well you guys want to hear a fact bang i do absolutely <laughs> the human body literally glows and i'm not talking in the like a yogi bullshit kind of way like in a literal emits light kind of way uh-huh so the human body emits a small quantity of visible light, visible in the sort of technical sense. The illumination is about a thousand times less intense than levels of light that we actually are able to see. But researchers in Japan used a special camera to track the human glow and found that it fluctuates throughout the day. So apparently you admit your lowest levels of light around 10 a.m. and your highest at around 4 p.m. That's a fact bag. That's unfortunate for me because 4 p.m. is my, especially like during and I'm, I'm assuming post panini, 4 p.m. is my nap time. It is when I am almost guaranteed to be unconscious. <laughs> Side note to my boss, if you're listening, no, it's not. But it is. It totally is. 4 p.m. I'm completely dead to the world. So you're pretty sure that you're not glowing at that time? I mean, I, but, you know, what I'm saying is like it's a bummer if like that's when I'm glowing the most because oh, that is yeah. when no one will see me. <laughs> I have crawled into a pit and I have covered myself with the earth. I'll never be found. And I'll never be found. All I can think about now is, am I glowing right now more than the other person next oh. to me at, at any and all times? Like, you should just, who's glowing a, more right now? What a way to strike up conversation with a stranger. <laughs> <laughs> just like, hey, I think I'm probably glowing hey, more actually, than you. Actually, Alex has a really good fact, Bang, oh. about he know? Galveston <laughs> that he shared. Well, he's already shared it, so I feel like he can share it again. He shared it while on the island, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. Okay. And so I'm going to need him to share it now. Yeah, I'd love to. So the very first time that I did learn about the Galveston hurricane that happened, you know, 100 plus years ago. Ike? You know, Galveston was the economic center. No. Well, no. Hurricane Ike was like, what, like three years ago? Two Um. years ago? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Many, many, many many years ago. Not Ike. Previous to Ike. Carry on. Very previous to Ike. (laughs) Yeah. So so Galveston back in the day was like the economic center of the region. And then, you know, it happened and the city was devastated and everyone was like, this is terrible. Let's move away from the coast. Yeah. And that's when Houston became the more like dominant city uh, economic center of the region. But ever since learning about that, I always thought like we were really robbed as, you know, Galveston being like this Manhattan of Texas. Yeah. You know, being landlocked with this island and, you know, they've got a really cool grid system going on in their city. And I've always thought, man, it's the coolest city that just didn't ever really happen for us. And Aww. it's disappointing. And I think about it often. And she missed like, her shot. Yeah. Like what if Houston were Galveston instead of like where it is now? <laughs> That's how I feel like you would have presented this, this fact bag. All right. <laughs> no. Take Houston, make it Galveston. <laughs> just like, but like put it in ocean. 
consider yeah. consider instead of like the sort of flatland that, that would have been because it, it does have a very like um kind of new orleansy vibe in some of the architecture yes. and the way that like the whole place looks and feels a little bit so imagine if it were the fourth largest city in the country yeah i see why this is plaguing you yeah i can't <laughs> stop thinking about it Can I tell you something? Oh my gosh, please. My topic today mm-hmm. is a mea culpa <gasps> from me to you. It is an offering to say, I know I've taken, I know I've put you through a lot <laughs> with recent topics. Uh-huh. I know we've really gone a lot of places. I know you've had to have at least one uncomfortable <laughs> conversation with your mom. And so I bring to you a topic that I think that you will really enjoy. Okay. Um, <laughs> that I also really somehow this already still feels like bullying. It's no, a con. Watch it's out. Be sweet. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what it is, I, but I don't trust it either. I feel like it's gonna have this like Shyamalan twist at the end. That actually, here's how it's horny. <laughs> I, I pull, on, I pull off a mask, and I'm like, psych. It's still horny. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. It's very cool. What's it called? It is called Mystery Among the Trees. Semicolon, an adventure apology to Ellie May. <laughs> um, well, I appreciate being named in the title. You know, that makes me feel special. Uh huh. Um, mystery among the trees? Yes. Hmm. I wonder what, what kind of flavor of story. This is an adventure story? There is adventure. <gasps> There's adventure. Is it about how like trees communicate with each other? No, but that's very cool. And we should talk more about it at some point. <laughs> that is what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, how they're like, they're sending messages through the neurons, the leaf roots neurons. And, yeah, yeah. Roots and shit. <laughs> yeah. No, that's what we need to get my mom on here as she has been like begging to forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she will go off about uh, root systems. <laughs> Molly, please tell me about root systems. I'm ready. Okay, so let me tell you the tree part about it, like the Among the Trees, yeah. is a reference to the name of the place oh. and also like sort of like the name of the like adventure. <gasps> How fun. Uh, and not necessarily about like specifically trees, although trees are part about it. Trees are a part about it, and you can take that to the bank. <laughs> Trees are a part about it. Is it the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? No, but again, we really should talk about that at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, any ideas? Do you know? I do not know. Uh, it's just a part of the name. Now I'm just thinking forest, and forest is the only thing stuck in my name. I have no idea. <laughs> and that is my official guess. Chelsea, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, I think you're going to really, really like it. Okay, so my topic is called Casing the Joint. Is it about sausage? <laughs> no, but I love that. <laughs> is it about marijuana? Yes. In fact, it is. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you always do the, you're so good at deciphering. Uh, look, I like puzzles. Uh, Connor bought for the beach because he knew he wasn't going to get in the water because he's a man who knows himself. Sure. He went to a thrift store near the water and bought three books called Five Minute Mysteries, More Five Minute <laughs> Mysteries, and Further Five Minute Mysteries. <laughs> Yes, that's amazing. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> and so, yeah, we were we've just been puzzling. I'm in a puzzle space. Oh, I love that for you. Yeah, thank. Well, well done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You busted me. Okay, so it's just it's like, but like, I mean, it's got to be more than just weed. In a way, it's a in a world you'll get, you'll see, you'll I'll see, you'll you'll I'll see, see. <laughs> you'll all see. I'm going to just like dig in and we'll we'll uncover where we're going as we get there. How about that? Yes. 
Marijuana use is a pretty hot topic, and many states recently um, have been legalizing the drug for medical and or recreational purposes. And it's been pretty controversial in the United States for, I mean, ever since it's been around, really. But as most things are bigger than America, for a significant portion of human history, marijuana has had medicinal, spiritual, and recreational uses that date back to, well, as far as we know, 5,000 years, probably way more than that. Archaeologists have found evidence of what could be marijuana paraphernalia as far back as the first millennium BC in India, China, Africa, and Assyria. This thing has been around for a really, really long time. 5,000 years ago in China, this guy who was like kind of thought about to be the father of Chinese agriculture, Emperor Chen Nung, included the plant in the first ever Chinese pharmacopoeia. Huge collection of all the different plants, all the different medicinal uses that they knew. 5,000 years ago, it was prescribed for fatigue, rheumatism, and malaria treatment. I love the idea of giving someone weed because they're tired. (laughs) Yeah, that would really uh, not work for me. (laughs) Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. Doctor, it uh, made it far worse. Far, far worse. (laughs) Allegedly. Allegedly. The ancient Egyptians used marijuana to treat glaucoma, as well as just general inflammation. Mm -hmm. It was then recorded again in like 2900 BC. This old resin was uncovered in a Chinese grave that was super cool. And they had over 100 medicinal uses for marijuana by 100 AD. In 1000 BC, the Indians created a drink called bang, which is a mixture of marijuana, milk, and other ingredients, which was used as an anesthetic. And it's Still used in India today. Nice. And ancient Indians may also have used it as a cure for leprosy, in dysentery, fever. It's even been thought in some cultures to prolong life. Ooh. One thing that I found that was really cool is that it has a really long spiritual history in India. It's said that the Hindu god Shiva rested under a cannabis plant and ate its leaves after a family argument, which is why Shiva is referred to as the Lord of Bang, this drink, this mixture. And in the Vedas, which are a collection of ancient scriptures, they refer to cannabis as a herb to release people from anxiety. One story in the Vedas describes a drop of heavenly nectar falling on the earth and that becomes a cannabis plant. So they're like really into it. (laughs) (laughs) So the thing that I really wanted to talk about, because like, yeah, we get it. Marijuana is a plant and some people smoke it. But how it is a perfect example of a species that we have co-evolved with ever since we started growing it. So... It was not known in the Americas until the arrival and settlement of the first European colonists, which kind of makes sense. But you probably know all about this. Before it was what we know as weed, it was much more commonly used as hemp because the- Textiles. Textiles, yeah. Yeah. Huge textile manufacturing because of how strong the fibers are. And actually, I think the declaration, no, the constitution, I think, is written on hemp. Hemp was a hugely important part of early farming in America until it got outlawed with the whole weed and everything. The Spanish and English colonies in America mainly imported botanical varieties for textual manufacturing and grew a shit ton of hemp. So we take this one plant and we start to breed it for this double use. One, because these flowers have the psychoactive effect on the brain that's been used for pain relief for thousands and thousands of years, and the other because of the length and strength of the fibers. And then it wasn't until 1753 that this idea, and I'm calling it that because you'll see what I get to, this idea of sativa versus indica comes in. Now that I have heard about. Now that you have heard about. Allegedly. The Swedish botanist, this guy Carl Linnaeus, coined the term cannabis sativa in the middle of the 18th century. And then this other guy, some French naturalist Jean Lamarck, distinguished between cannabis sativa and cannabis 
India, writing that the former one was this European plant that tended to grow in warmer climates and was traditionally more of the psychoactive flower. And the other was more leaf heavy. And that came from colder climates like India, cold parts of India. And then there was also this weird little Russian variety that was much, much smaller, Ruderalis. So that's where they came up with this idea of there being three different plants of the same thing. Carl Linnaeus also noted while he was doing all this that Cannabis plants aren't like a lot of other plants, but they are separated into male and female plants, whereas most plants have like male and female parts within the same plant. Yeah. Right? Okay. Cannabis plants either grow male or female, and then one of them poof releases all the pollen, and the other one's like, yummy, flowers, please. And that's how they make more flowers. I'm you can tell I'm quite the botanist. Yeah. <laughs> but basically that's how if they if they if you put a male near a female plant, it'll release its stuff and then it'll make more plants. We're going to come back to that because it's kind of funny of what we did to it. So the main components of marijuana is THC, which is tetrahydrocannabinoid, and CBD, which is a cannabidiol. And we in our brains have things called endocannabinoids, which are found to be in all animals except insects. And we we don't fully understand what exactly that they do, <laughs> but we know that they interact with the with a cannabinoid and that that can affect our immune response, cell communication, memory, metabolism, appetite, mood, pain, all kinds of different things that people still don't know that much about. And then this idea of different strains comes in from creating a hybrid bet- between a sativa and an indica. And these different strains is basically a, a balancing act of molecules that create the flavor, aroma, amount of CBD and amount of psychoactive 400 different chemicals chemicals that make up something Uh called a cannabinoid profile. I was listening to an interview with a farmer in California and he was saying that if the best way to imagine it is like a graphic equalizer and there are all these different things that affect the end product and they're all kind of interacting together but we don't really know what it's doing but these crossbreeding to create these particular cannabinoid profiles is where you get things like pineapple express for example is a great example of a supposedly particular strain. Sour diesel has this peppery taste because of the chemical cariophylline, which is in black pepper and cloves and cinnamon. This strain, Super Lemon Haze, has limoline in it, which is a big component of citrus peel. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these different strains. And at the moment, American farms are growing cannabis that has THC levels upwards of 25%. Whoa. This is interesting because in the 1990s, when it became way more mainstream popular in the 90s. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> it was only really in the 90s where people started saying marijuana instead of cannabis. And the reason why they mm-hmm. did that <laughs> is because a lot of anti-cannabis factions wanted to underscore the drug's Mexicanness, which really sucked. Um to like play oh, off, uh, yeah, there's like super anti-immigrant settlements. Yeah, That's marijuana wasn't widely used for recreational purposes until the 90s, and throughout the 19th century, news reports and medical journal articles almost always used the formal name cannabis until they wanted to try and frame it on immigrants. And then we Yikes. get into the whole war on drugs, and that really fucks some shit up. That's <laughs> well, not great. For a really yes. long time, and in 1975, the U.S. paid Mexico to kill off their fields, which was about. At that time, 1990s, 3% THC was the standard amount in, in marijuana. So then people in California start growing it because that's the sunniest region and that's where you can get the biggest psychoactive plants. But now because they're blending it with the indica, the stuff called Hindu Kush, creating these hybrids, these hybrids can grow 
all over the country, hot or cold, it doesn't matter because the hybrid allows it to survive in both climates. So Reagan then created a little weed knock air force. What? That would like fly over America and point out cannabis farms and they would just like burn them. Oh, that blows. Yeah. But then because people are smart, the indica meant they could also grow them indoors and control the temperature. And then they added a little bit of that ruderalis, that Russian strain, which flowers much shorter. So suddenly you have much more versatile plant that's flowering much more quickly and it's much easier to grow. So that's how we went from having this 3% THC to much more like 25 now. But they also then, <laughs> they jumped it up again. So remember our guy Carl Linnaeus who was like, hey, these plants are male and female and they get really horny for each other? Couldn't forget him. Can't forget something like that. <laughs> so weed farmers and the people that are creating this stuff, they create something called Cinsamilia, which is Spanish for seedless. Basically, if you keep the female plants away from the male plants, they just stay really, really horny and they never stop producing THC. So then you clip and grow from that female plant again. You clone that plant so you don't need to pollinate them and you just keep them perpetually thirsty. Well, okay. Yeah, and then they create even bigger flowers. This guy in this, it's called it Explained. It was on Netflix if you want to learn more about this. He was like, yeah, now you have this weed that has these like giant flowers, these like Barbie-like proportions. It's kind of grotesque. <laughs> Horny female plants that never got fucked. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, in some parts of the animal world, that is a-okay. And I'm trying to bring, like, I feel like you're bringing the horny now into, like, your topic. So I'm trying to, like, play, like, the other side where I'm just like, that's pretty horny. You're not down for it? No, I am. D- you t- <laughs> come on, come on. Eleanor. Come on. Eleanor. I just found the incredible monologue from Pineapple Express to aid my description of all the crossbreeding of weed. I was wondering, because, like, you really zoomed right over... The, what is it, 2008 uh, Seth Rogen, James Franco vehicle, Pineapple Express. Oh, no, don't worry. I'm So I'm going to take us back there right now. It's kind of like if that blue oyster shit and the Afghan kush I got had a baby. And meanwhile, the craziest Northern Lights and that red ass espresso snowflake had a baby. And then by some miracles, those babies met and fucked. Then this would be the shit they'd birth. <laughs> but then it got really, really horny and engorged somehow. <laughs> and it got really, really horny and engorged. It got and the flowers are huge. So like you said, you're kind of familiar with this binary, right, of indica to sativa. And if you've ever been to a dispensary, not that I have, but I've heard. The indica is thought to be this sleepy stoned kind of feeling and the sativa is thought to be this high energy creative high and a lot of the time the people who are selling it to you be like yeah that's kind of like 13% this and 12% that but that whole thing is kind of bullshit none of it really means anything because there's no genetic sample of pure indica and pure sativa so we actually have really no idea what the volumes in the flowers are there's no accurate way to establish the hybrid percentage so it's all just a bunch of stoner speak they're just kind of just going <laughs> off and thing. talking and you're nodding uh-huh it's sure not yeah even great. done by yeah, breeding uh-huh. or math or like any kind of like org charts of like well you had this flower that came from that one do you know how they come up with that tell me now no. <laughs> some guy just smokes it no. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's like you know what and I'm actually sorry, this what? one <laughs> yeah a guy smokes it and it's he goes this you know what that feels like a 13.75 THC to me I'm writing that down <laughs> is that guy Willie Nelson <laughs> ooh got it got him no 
it's total yeah. nonsense. It's like, you know, it's like <laughs> how the guys do all the coffee tastings. I've talked about this because I had to go to one and I was such an asshole and I would just write coffee. But like, you, you can uh-huh. tell like different flavors from wherever you get your coffee, right? Like Ethiopian coffee right. tastes very different to Guatemalan coffee. This is nothing, right. like this is nonsense. This is not, you can't, you can't really <laughs> tell. Then there's no way to tell. Right. Can you go to Weed Sommelier School? Can you take these kinds of classes? Well, Any sort you of like should bullshit? You should be able to, so like, Alex, you're a wine guy, right? You're a- uh, I, I, I am Catholic, so, <laughs> so go on. Tell me, yes. <laughs> Say more. So obviously, alcohol and the production of alcohol and the selling of alcohol is very government regulated, right? And mm-hmm. so you, if you buy a Merlot, there are many things to, in place that means that that cannot be a Cabernet, right? Well, of course. But not so yes. with weed. Yeah, we those things are like protected. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. Not so. There's no idea. We don't even have what a standard dose of cannabis is. Like that is not a thing that is in any way standardized. No one can say like, this is one drink's worth of, you know, how we have, this is a pint, this is whatever. Nothing like that exists for weed because of it being illegal. While it's illegal, everyone's just concentrating on trying to lock people up for it rather than testing it, regulating it, getting some kind of safety things in place so that if people wanted to be as safe as they could with it, then they would be able to be more informed. But that is happening in other places. So in the Netherlands recently, uh, it's been legal to have and possess marijuana for a long time. They've kind of taken it to an almost farmer production level, creating and testing different strains with different cannabinoid profiles and making them again and recreating them to ensure that they have an exact medical profile, like a, a, a test that happens every time that they pass. And they've got very medical names like Bedrocken and Bedica and Bedrobinol. And they can prove every time that they test the substance that it has the exact levels of THC or whatever, how they have in it now. Whereas they mm-hmm. took like Amnesia and White Widow, which is some popular strange and tested them and they were all over the map. It was just like different levels of different stuff, <laughs> completely different. No, but, like, despite we, having the same name. Right. Despite being like, it's oh, just, this is okay, definitely great, from that strain. Cool. Fun. We yeah. do love that. Yeah. None of it right. means anything. That company in the, in the Netherlands has been bought by a company called Constellation Brands, which you might not have heard of, but you probably know some of its products. Like Corona beer. Oh, okay. Svetka vodka, Claude de Bois wine, Casa Noble tequila. Which brings us to the question of what does the Corona of weed look like? Oh. That's the, against the eventual goal is that there will be a version, a Corona of weed. That makes sense. I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I went to visit some friends in Seattle like a couple years ago. Yeah. In Seattle, as well as like several other places in the country, marijuana is recreationally legal as well as like medicinally legal. Yeah. And so our friends that are from Seattle, they took us to legal weed shop and it was such a vibe. Already, I guess I should just say I am the kind of person that, like when I go in a shop and somebody's like can I help you like find oh yeah I'm, I'm like I'd, e- I'd like no. to leave now <laughs> like, even if I have a question like I would really just rather like go through the entire experience myself than like be guided through it and uh and then I extra kind of felt that way about weed and they extra were not gonna let me oh yeah no <laughs> no so they were definitely they gonna was, like, okay. hang out with you and let you know some stuff yeah they were like okay so like this is this and they're like what are you so, like what are you looking for and I'm like oh I'm not sure and they're like well, like, how do you feel? Like, what do you do? And I'm like, okay. And then I was like, well, I guess my issue is that like any of the other times that I've ever smoked weed, allegedly, 
allegedly. <laughs> it has allegedly just made me really tired and kind of have a headache and maybe like a little bit low-key nauseated. Right. I don't like any of those feelings. Have you ever in- encountered someone who's like of our parents' generation who in their day used to smoke weed and they're just like, you can't get the, why can't you get the mellow shit anymore? Yes, I have heard a riff on that phrase. So in the 90s, the average ratio of THC to CBD, because it's like give one, take the other, right? Right. Was 11 to one. In 2020, the average was 250 to one. Okay, that makes sense to me. Because yeah, it's just like, it's always too much. Yeah. And so I told them this. I was like, this is how like I often feel about it. And extreme, extreme, extreme lightweight. And they were like, okay, yeah. They're like, so what's been happening to you is you've been having this, which is a head high, and you need to have this, which is going to do a body high. And like, here are all the reasons. And I'm like, I am definitely going to internalize this and perfectly explain it in three years on a podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then they convinced me to get these like gummies and I got the gummies and they're like, they're really, really, really mellow. And then I was like, just to be safe, I'm going to do half a gummy. We went on a hike and halfway through that hike, I became convinced that I was dead. Yeah, and no one could see me or hear me. I was incapable of speech. I kept opening my mouth, but no sound would come out. No. And then I had a full blown panic attack. And so I was like, I was like, oh, okay. So I don't think that I will be eating any more of these gummies. No, I mean, over the decades, weed and weed products have gotten incrementally stronger because just because the American tolerance as a whole has increased steadily and people always seem to try and buy the more potent strain, usually the most potent strain they can a lot of the time. And 65... Not this gal. No, and 65% <laughs> of people who buy weed in legal weed states are daily users with an ever-increasing tolerance, right? So the trend just uh, generally goes up over time. I was looking up a more co-evolved plants because I I think that's such an interesting way to think and look about it. Corn, peaches, and watermelon were once completely inedible teeny tiny fruit. And through pretty much the same process over time, we bred them to completely fit our desires. And we've done that with so many fruits and plants and vegetables, which is insane. But I feel like I would be remiss not to mention, I don't want to just like skip straight over the effect of the war on drugs and how that has like so disproportionately affected black people in America. Right. From 2010 to 2018, 6 million arrests were made on marijuana charges. 88% of those were for minor possession. And it varies between the states, but black people were between four and eight times more likely to be arrested for the possession of marijuana because they target communities of color and they're specifically looking for it among black people a lot of the time. States waste about $4 billion a year enforcing these weed laws. And that doesn't even include the cost of incarceration and how many people are in prison in America for marijuana charges, which is ridiculous seeing that it's legal in so many other states. And when it was legalized, so they made so much money from taxes. In 2019 alone, Colorado made $302 million from taxing marijuana, and that's projected to increase to $105 billion by 2025. Holy shit. Yeah, it makes a shite ton of money when you regulate it, legalize it and regulate it because you can tax it. And then, I don't know, you can do tests on it and discover things like how much is a dose? What can these strains safely do? How can we recreate them in a way that's safe and dependable and reliable for people's money? You can actually do good stuff. If you stop wasting your fucking time and locking up black people for no fucking reason. And that's the end of my topic. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, I definitely appreciate, like, the coda there. Yeah. Because something that I think about a lot, and it's also a place where if you are somebody who allegedly likes weed and you want it to both, like, become legal around the rest of the country and or you want to, like, kind of get involved with sort of some of the issues of, like, 
institutionalized racism that comes with the legalization of marijuana. Something that I just think is like, or not just me, uh, but a lot of people think is an absolute travesty is that in places like Colorado, where they've legalized recreational marijuana, you're not allowed to get a license to like distribute or have like a grow house or like a shop if you have previously had a marijuana charge. Yeah, which disproportionately affects people of color in Colorado. So like imagine oh, brilliant. selling weed, getting locked up for selling weed, getting out of prison, finding out it's now legal, but you're not allowed to sell it. But all these like affluent white people are allowed to move to Colorado right. and start legally selling with it. With investors like, like Corona beer. Yeah, with investors like Corona beer. So that is, like we there are a lot of really cool groups that are looking to actively change those laws. I truly feel like if you as a lawmaker are going to say that recreational marijuana use is okay and like the government should benefit off of it like you were saying through mm-hmm. taxes and regulation then you should also be okay with retroactively pardoning and uh vacating any convictions yeah absolutely hell yeah yeah i mean that should just be a part of any like comprehensive law about this in any of these states that it's yeah ridiculous that it's not but not unexpected which Probably, really yeah. is so unfortunate just so sad horny plants yeah. I'm, I'm gonna reward you for that thank you <laughs> I'm definitely going to be rewarding you for that. And rewarding you for having a horny topic feels interesting for just the dynamic of like your topics as a whole. Yeah. But I'm going to reward you a solid 12 points for horny plants. Oh, thank you. <gasps> what oh, the fuck? I was like stepping outside of my comfort zone, you know? You did. And it was a risk and it really did pay off. <laughs> thank you so much. Now, thank you. <laughs> I am going to say minus three points for war on drugs because it's it's just uh, never good. It's not. It fun, never is it? really is. No, no one likes it. It's it. not. It's just not ever. It is just not ever. So, <laughs> you know, I'm going to give two more points for just like confirming that all of the topics and things that, you know, people say in dispensaries is bullshit. Thank uh, you. I love learning that fact. <laughs> that is that is very fun. And I cannot wait. But We still get to play like mm-hmm. the bizarre. I mean, for anyone, anyone who would like to participate gets to play the bizarre theater like we play with wines. That's like, mm, yummy. oh, exactly. That's a red one. Yeah. Thank you. And you're like, mm-hmm. and you're just nodding along yeah. like. You know, yeah. you're taking in all this information Black and you, you're not at all. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm, mm, yes, legs. Yes. yes. And you're kind of swirling. You're, you're smelling. Yeah, no. And it is it is all bullshit. Loved confirming that. I think I said two points for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And those are the points that I have given and taken away and given back. And these are they. Thank you. And these are they. And thank you. So picture this. We're going to go back in time. See, this is how you know it's really an early time. We're going it back really in time. is. Yeah, it's a full switcheroo. Oh, my God. We are going back in time to 1799. Ooh. Okay. So get there. Feel it. Okay. It's probably stinky. It's gross and it smells yeah. bad. Yeah. It really <laughs> smells bad. But you know what? It doesn't smell as bad as it could because you're actually on an island. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Your name is Daniel McGinnis. Okay. And you have traveled to Nova Scotia in Canada to start a new life. And you're on this beautiful island and you're like, what am I going to do? Well, it's 1799. I'm starting a new life because you know I'm going to have to be building a farm. Yeah. You know, I got to, I love be building those farms. And you know I'm going to be building a farm because in 1799, it's not like I can go and be a digital nomad and like do my marketing job <laughs> is it, from this island. I'm going to need to self-sustain. Is it a hemp farm? No, it no. is not. In fact, the farm isn't even relevant because this is what happened. Okay. <laughs> you're Daniel McGinnis. You're going around the island and you see in the spot that you're like, oh, I think this seems like a really good spot. It's flat. It's big. There's tree cover. It's gorgeous. 
But then you're like, what's this weird depression in the ground? What's this weird, almost like kind of like sinking in the middle of the space? So you do what like any normal like dude in 1799 that's about to start a farm would do. Jump in. You start digging. Yeah. You get two of your friends uh, and the three of you start digging in this hole just to make sure it's not like, I don't know, the pits of hell or something. Right. And very quickly, you realize that this is not a normal sinkhole at all because not two feet deep into digging, you find a layer of flagstones. Ooh. Cut stones. Like somebody somebody took these stones and cut them to shape and there's like a flat layer of these stones. We're so looking like, at a man-made, a man-made situation. You found some foundation. Yeah, this is a man-made something. Uh-oh. Then you keep digging and at the 10-foot mark, you find some oak platforms. Uh-oh. Then you find oak platforms every 10 feet at exactly 10 feet intervals. Are we finding a boat? Until... You get to 30 feet. Oh, my God. In which case, you and your two friends have to abandon the excavation. Why? Some say due to superstitious dread. Others say because it just simply became too difficult. Okay. <laughs> so you can go ahead and Hold guess on that one. Hold too deep. Hold too deep. Man, too small. I will say as like a, a new gardener, because like Connor <laughs> and I were like, hey, it's month 14 of the panini. Yeah. Should we start gardening? I think that I think we held out as long I as I think we it's could. time. I was like, this is so fucking hard. Just <laughs> digging the hole deep enough to put my plant in was so fucking difficult. I was like, this sucks. <laughs> I hate this. Good on these three men for digging down 30 feet. Yeah, and they're like, you know what? I'm probably done for today. Yeah, one guy was like, hey, I'm like really tired. And the other guy was <laughs> hey, like, well, can I go I'm home? actually not tired. He's like, I'm actually not tired at all, but I am feeling a sense of superstitious dread. Yeah. And for that reason only, I will be like bowing out of this excavation. Thank you. So what Daniel McGinnis could not have possibly known oh my was that God. he was setting off a 220-year mystery <gasps> about this sinkhole because... This sinkhole is now known as the Money Pit what? of Oak Island. Yes. Money what? Pit. The Money Pit of Oak Island. It has spawned countless like expeditions, tour groups. There are like people who will just bring you to the Money Pit what? and be like, get going and see what you, you can find. <laughs> it's spawned like numerous books, movies, theories. There's an entire like cottage industry. She's a whole thing. Yeah, in Nova Scotia around the Oak Island mystery. There is even a History Channel show just about two brothers who are determined to solve the mystery of Oak Island, and it's on its eighth season. (laughs) How could there be that much to talk about? Yeah, the brothers still be going. Yeah, there is a lot to talk about. So let's talk about, first of all, why people think there might be something in this pit. Sure, okay. Um, Because, like I said, that story I just told about Daniel McGinnis, it is the most widely accepted origin story for the Oak Island mystery. But it's not a guaranteed. Most of like these origin stories or like any of the early information around the pit was all passed down through word of mouth from like early settlers. Okay. European settlers on Oak Island. So Daniel McGinnis's story is the most widely like accepted and well-known origin story. And it has like, you know, it has exactly those little like beats of mystery, right? Of just okay. like, why are there flagstones? Why are, why are there wood markings for every 10 feet? Yeah, I want to know why. So then what happens is quickly word gets around about this money pit and people start putting two and two together and over time grow all these elaborate theories about what could be hidden in this pit. The number one thing that most people agree that they think is in the money pit is the treasure of the pirate. (gasps) (laughs) The treasure of the pirate Captain Kidd. Pirate treasure! 
Supposedly, Captain Kidd was working with Blackbeard, who allegedly said that he had hidden his treasure on Oak Island where none but Satan and myself can find yes. it. Yes! <laughs> That's so sick. Well, and Daniel McGuinness. Yeah, <laughs> none but Satan and Daniel McGuinness <laughs> will find my treasure. But Daniel McGuinness never found it. Oh, right. And so... Will nearly yes. find my treasure. <laughs> That's the thing, right, is that other than this mysterious stone inscribed with symbols that we're about to get to, Ooh. and a handful of other small things... No one has really found like any substantial treasure over the past like 220 years. What they have found is enough stuff to really make people just like, like again, like if you were basically, if you were designing this as a video game level, there's just like at exactly the right intervals that you would need to find something to not give up. That is what they find. So it's like they find like the golden clasp that clearly was part of a chest. And they're like, here be the clasp. Just, but where does it go? <laughs> where does it go to? Or here are some tools that we found. Like clearly these were tools that were used to dig from like somebody being there. Here we found sheepskin parchment that had letters Ooh. written in India ink. So again, and all these things are buried down. At like yeah, these intervals. I so keep going. Like, right. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, something is here. We're so close. We're so close. Well, here's a really complicating factor about the money pit. I and mean, yes, it is very funny that they call it that. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> who goes there dies. So oh. after McGinnis and his friends got 30 feet, this company called the Onslow Company sailed from central Nova Scotia to the island to be like, all right, we're here. We're big dudes. It's the 1800s, so it really is a survival of the fittest situation. Yeah. We're looking for that treasure. This sounds like an uncharted game right now. <laughs> oh, yeah. So then they dig down to 90 feet. Whoa. And and it should be known that like even like from 30 feet to 90 feet, this pattern of like oak logs marking the intervals of every 10 feet continued. I was going to ask, yeah, they're still finding the logs. No okay. way. They're still finding the every 10 feet logs. They get to 90 feet and then the pit floods with water. No. And no one knows why. So then they start another tunnel. It also floods. Is it a booby trap? So your mind went exactly where these men's minds <laughs> in yes. 1802 I'm was, a stupid old is, man. Uh, clearly, clearly the pirates have devised some sort of like trap system to prevent anybody from getting to the treasure. Yes. I will say there is another theory, a more modern theory about why these, because this is a... This is a common thing that happens. So by this point, and I guess part of the reason why the History Channel series is on its eighth season, is that like the Money Pit is now a complex series of tunnels. Ooh. Like basically, like the entire like subterranean part of the island has been bored out into like these series of tunnels and they keep flooding. And one of the reasons they think that they keep flooding is because underneath the sort of like there's like, you know, like the main ground, I guess. I'm just like you're not a, a botanist, I'm not <laughs> A geologist. Yeah. There's like the main like dirt ground. Yeah, of the you ground. got your dirt. And then <laughs> and then below that there's limestone. And limestone easily, I guess, like erodes with water. Yes. And then underneath there there's groundwater. So what they think is happening is that the limestone is already soft. It's being disturbed for like the first time. And it's just basically like crying, melting away and letting all the groundwater pour forth into these tunnels. Okay. So This keeps being like an issue. And so the Onslow company does not get much further than McGinnis and his two friends. Oh, I mean, I guess they get to 90 feet, but like they don't find any treasure. What they do find is this large stone. And this large stone really blows shit open. Because (laughs) again, what's the one thing that you would need to find to really be like, damn, shit just got real. Stakes raised. It would be 
a big stone tablet that's like two feet long and two feet wide, about a foot thick, with several characters inscribed on it not belonging to any known language. Yes. Yes, here be yes, 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 yes. One of the families that was part of like this excavation, this like secondary excavation uh, attempt was the Smith family. And when they brought the stone up, the Smith family had the stone inset into their fireplace in their house Uh so that anyone visiting the island could come to their house and look at the stone and maybe be able to decipher it. I would not put that in my home. Just, no. Oh, yeah. I know. Yeah, no, this absolutely not. Eight, That's some this gout is some weird 1800s shit. shit. Yeah. yeah, no, this is some weird 1800s shit where they were like, oh, I know. Let's put it where nothing bad could ever happen to it. Inset into our chimney in our wooden house. Oh, we also let's so, remember how we learned that like they were super into spiritualism at this time. So if they're probably like, oh, hopefully a ghost will come. Yeah, a ghost will come and simply decipher it for us. <laughs> People love to go and try to decipher the stone. It again becomes a big part of the early tourism of Oak Island around this mystery. And Have you the seen pit. the stone? There's been no like universally accepted translation of the stone's markings. The one that people liked the most was this guy named James Lichty, who in 1893 said that he deciphered the stone to say, 10 feet below are 2 million pounds buried. Okay, good. Most colonists at this time were English. Right. Right. In Canada. So hence like the queen being on the money and like all of that just makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're like 10 feet below are 2 million pounds buried, which is conveniently the amount of money that Captain Kidd was said to have put on the island. Okay. So it tracks. So it tracks up. Yeah. So... Naturally, over the years, several prominent people have been really interested in this. Is one Elon mystery. Musk? Because I swear to God, Elon. I haven't heard anything about Elon Musk yet. He does but like Errol tunnels. Flynn, <laughs> he does like tunnels. Yeah, he's real into tunnels. Oh, his stupid fucking tunnel. Did you see I that? I know. Early? Yeah, you can't even fucking turn in it. It's just a death tube. What happens when one dumb Tesla owner like runs out of battery? The, oopsie, everyone's dead now. Yeah, it's, it's over. So Errol Flynn, the actor, mm-hmm. invested in an Oak Island treasure dig so did john wayne who even offered his own personal drilling equipment question mark to (laughs) to help with the excavation william vincent astor who was the uh heir to the astor family fortune after his father died on the titanic you remember john jacob astor yeah he also invested in some of the oak island digs uh but perhaps the most famous person to be obsessed with the Oak Island mystery. Oh, please tell me it's Cage. FDR. Uh. <laughs> no, it's Franklin Delano Roosevelt. So sorry. I know it's not as interesting as Cage. It did give me this absolutely bonkers quote about, yes. <laughs> about FDR. Are you ready? Okay, here's the quote. Although the president secretly planned to visit Oak Island in 1939, fog and the international situation prevented him from doing so. Fog and global war. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I can't prove it, but I have to believe that an English person is responsible for that quote because it is just so perfectly understated of like, yeah, it's 1939, he's FDR, but fog and the international situation. Fog or war. <laughs> Fog and also World War Two. <laughs> no, no, no. War and World Island War Two. Too vulgar. It's the global situation. It was an inter- look. Oh, it was yeah. simply an international situation. So over the years, as like the mystery has just only grown in like kind of people's minds. So too has the speculations about the treasure. So like I said, the most common and like kind of universally accepted treasure that people are looking for is the treasure of the pirate Captain Kidd. Mm-hmm. However, there are a lot of other speculated treasures 
in this money pit. It has really grown to be just like, something is under this island and it could be anything and everybody wants At this it. point, it could be anything. At this point, it could be anything. No, I mean, like, listen, we're about to go a lot of places. So some people believe that the Knights Templar buried the Ark. Yes. The Holy Grail. Yes. On Oak Island in Nova Scotia. Some people believe that the Freemasons have hidden their treasure there. Historian William S. Crooker said that he believes that British engineers and sailors dug the pit. And the reason why it's like set up like a pit and the reason why it has like very specific, like it's so sort of like mathematically precise with like the oak wood markings is because British engineers, after they invaded Cuba, good job, guys. They (laughs) stored all of the loot from like sacking Cuba in this pit. Cute. (laughs) Yeah. Other people think that British troops who were stationed there during the American Revolution, which is true, there were British troops that kind of kind of came through Canada and then went down into the colonies. Yeah. Uh, that they might have hidden treasure or plans or like something like that. This one I think is really interesting because this is all in a book that I could not find in time. <laughs> I could not tell you why, but there is a growing group of people who believe that the pit was used to hide evidence that proved that Sir Francis Bacon was the true author of <laughs> William Shakespeare's plays and sonnets. What? Yes, amazing. So like it's yeah, yeah, it's now involved in like that whole sort of like Shakespeare authorship conspiracy theory. Amazing. You've got to hide that in a pit. Cuz I guess Sir Francis Bacon was also <laughs> rumored to like run some sort of like European esoteric yeah, like mystic group. <laughs> so then they're like, yeah, in order to Where's the one place we could hide these documents? Right. In order to prevent Francis Bacon from becoming too powerful (laughs) with all of his mysticism stuff and the fact that he was actually the bard, they were like, the world can't know this. It's too powerful. We must hide it. We must simply hide it in a pit in an island in Nova Scotia. I've heard of a hole in Nova Scotia. (laughs) I'll take it there. That tracks. Obviously. And then the last one that I read about that I was like, okay, this actually kind of whips. Do you know that most of Marie Antoinette's jewelry is like missing and has never been found? What? Yeah. Again, because of the national incident, uh, Marie Antoinette <laughs> had to leave Versailles really quickly because of the fog and also the international incident. <laughs> so she's, she had to leave really quickly. So she didn't get to take most of her cool, cool stuff. Oh, no. That she had acquired through a life of aristocracy. That is an entire conspiracy theory in and of itself. It's like, where are all her lost jewels? So one theory is that she had sent a trusted like lady-in-waiting to flee with her jewels because uh, this is also... <laughs> Take my so, jewels. This is very sad. The lady-in-waiting got digging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and she was like, I don't just where to go, ma'am. I've got don't this. Don't worry. No, no, no. But... I mean, you guys, in case you don't know, like Marie Antoinette and her husband, King Louis, and their children, they really thought they were going to escape. When they fled Versailles, the plan was to flee into like another part of Europe and then eventually like get out. Like there were even discussions of going to America because if you remember correctly, the French aided the new Americans against the British during the American Revolution. So there was maybe some hope, but, uh, that would not have gone well since like the French Revolution was in part inspired by the successful American Revolution. So like, oh, 
that really backfired yeah. on you? According to this theory, I think the idea was that Marie Antoinette's lady-in-waiting would go ahead with all the jewels, and then they would meet somewhere in, like, a more neutral territory. Mm. But obviously, it did not go that way. They were imprisoned at the Bastille and eventually beheaded. This lady-in-waiting is said to have fled to London and then from London to Nova Scotia, and that she would have hid, <laughs> she would have hidden all of these jewels. And then yes, there's a bit of a leap <laughs> that a is like kind leap. of hard to explain. I'm just like, and then she and then she goes to Oak Island, obviously, yeah. and like just digs in the ground and had an elaborate system of tunnels with and the logs panels. and the stones, <laughs> yeah. and she made up her language. She was quite creative, <laughs> she actually. She really went for it, right? <laughs> she really went for it. She was like, I'm going to create a mystery. So incomprehensible that one day they'll laugh about it. There are a lot of really cool things that have been found, but their treasureness is in the kind of historical value that they have. Right. For example, they have found some like jewels. So they found a garnet brooch, which some people were like, could it be one of Marie Antoinette's? And it's like, probably not, but it is very cool. <laughs> probably not. They have found. Tons of like coins, which is cool because it dates how far back these things go, which some of them predate like the original discovery of the sinkhole by like hundreds of years. Right. So that's a pretty big deal. And then they found a chunk of coal, which was like not native to the area. So then that is also like a really significant find because, again, it just kind of proves that like human development or interaction was happening on the island way, way, way before any of these like first European settlers were coming in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that other people discovered America before Europeans? I would never say that, Alex. <laughs> okay, because that, that just sounds wild. That. that sounds wild. I just want to be clear that I would never say that. <laughs> but so far, like, they have really, like, again, they're on season eight of the show. They've not yet found <laughs> the treasure. They're still going. But I would be remiss if I did not tell you one of the leading alternative theories for the sinkhole. Yes. Which is that it is... Just that, a sinkhole. Oh. Well, for the like more specifically, it's a natural phenomenon where there was development there, like like Alex kind of pointed out, that perhaps there are more people on the planet than white Europeans. <laughs> there might have been people there. And then because like we talked about with like the natural makeup of the island being limestone, which is naturally soft, that it would create a natural sort of sinkhole effect where over time with rain and erosion, things would naturally sink down into the earth and then be buried with like a new layer of earth. And that would keep happening over and over again over hundreds and hundreds of years to create these layers of artifacts. Which happens in other places as well. Are you saying that the real treasure is the friends we made along the way? Yes, nerds would say that. <laughs> because then the really cool guys on the History Channel show were like, well, then explain the logs at like exactly 10 feet yeah. in intervals. And it's like, okay, well, you got me there, asshole. <laughs> the logs are weird. <laughs> the logs are weird. I give you that. The stone tablet is weird. I give you that. It is, I think, telling that like most of the theories are still kind of like around European history, like Marie Antoinette, right. Shakespeare's authorship, the Knights Templar. There's this idea that like all of these things, for reasons that most people can't really like draw a clear line to, would arrive on this island off of the coast of Nova Scotia <laughs> and be buried there. Just like the lost property draw of Europe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's really cool. That's like something, if I had like stupid money and like time, I think that would be a very fun vacation is to go on one of these tours. A money pit, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and just be like, yeah, I'm going to go dig around. <laughs> okay, <laughs> for context, like it's very, very deep, many, many tunnels, but is it just like 
specific area? Is there one hole that these tunnels are like feeding off of? Like what? Yeah. What's that about? So if you were to look at an image, it starts with that central spot that I was describing that Daniel McGinnis found. It does spread off of that in like many, many tunnels. They've dug all these tunnels going different directions based on like kind of following the clues of something that they found. And then they're trying to see how far that goes. And then it fills with water and they start going down another one. Imagine an island that kind of looks like a baby elephant. Oh, she's good at this. (laughs) I'm really good at this. Much like a little baby elephant that maybe is also a ghost. Like it's in like a little sheet. (laughs) Uh uh And then uh starting like where that baby elephant's eye would be is like a central money pit. And then radiating off of that are several like lines describing like new tunnels. I feel like this is going to be a forest fen situation. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we just hit the water table again. Uh, listen, Marty, this is clearly another flood tunnel built by the Knights Templar. Oh, this is a this is a meme image from fans of the History Channel. <laughs> yes, uh, Curse of Oak Island, yes. uh, where apparently I guess one brother is always like, "Fuck, we just found more water," and then the other brother, Rick, is like, "Marty, it's not just water; it's a hint, it's a clue." And then that happens for eight seasons. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. <laughs> So that's the mystery of Oak Island. I cannot stress this enough. It has been a few coins and a lot of water. <laughs> but you know but what? Maybe somewhere. But maybe you could find something different. Yeah. I mean, I am built different. So, you know, I feel like I will just then, you know, get different results. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It and does that. look like in December of 2020, Ooh, the brothers water. that are on this show that do look like just two versions of Stephen King. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay <laughs> and, and their names are and i cannot make this up rick and marty yes <laughs> they found a treasure they found a tre- oh good for them they after all these years they found a treasure what they what they get and they know for sure that it was a treasure because they had it officially certified by the official treasure trove which is apparently a <laughs> Oh my gosh, can I work for them? Ellie, I'm going to yeah. need a story topic on that, please. The treasure Yeah, please. Trove. And so, Ellie, you're going to want to find out what a treasure trove license is and Get one report back. Stat. <laughs> I trust no one with that power but you, actually. Aw, I should meet these brothers. The Stevens King. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I want you to know, sidebar, and I still think I was right. No, <laughs> no, clear. it was I not said- right. It was, it was, it was morally wrong. Oh no. And an affront to God. We were driving to Galveston. Mm -hmm. We went to Burger King because somebody helpfully pointed out that Burger King now does like an impossible burger. And I was like, let's go. And we all say what we want. I want the impossible burger. Connor says he wants chicken fries, whatever the fuck that is. And then Celia says she wants a Whopper Jr. And Alex says he wants a Whopper Jr. So I naturally, as like, you know, like a advanced user of the English language, Say, can I get an Impossible Burger, an order of chicken fries, and two Whoppers Jr.? (laughs) (laughs) And she said it so many times. It's like, we get it. Like, just stop it. Stop it. I think that's correct. You want me to say two Whopper Juniors like a monster? I'm begging you. (laughs) Incredible. Yeah. So, school her immediately. Yeah, give me a score. Uh, Okay, so that is... You know, I'm going to say, starting off with seven points for each of the theories of what is in the money pit. That is pirate money, the Ark, Freemason stuff, 
British pit of Cuban stuff, Revolutionary War <laughs> documents, I guess. Um, some Shakespeare nonsense. Major seventh point for Marie Antoinette's jewelry. Yeah. Sick. Only because obviously we did see that movie together in the year of our Lord, 2006. Oh, uh, so, yeah. so we're starting off with seven points there. One more point for non-native coal, because like, all right. <laughs> because I did write it down. Because <laughs> uh, I did write that down. Minus a point, not because we discussed Elon Musk, but because you didn't know that he moved to your now hometown, which is kind of bizarre. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, he's here. he's here and nobody does like he's it. He's here and he's not going anywhere. And an extra little point for the uh, like perfect euphemism phrase of just like the international situation. <laughs> yeah, that's very good. Um, I'm going to be using when that. When anything is, yeah, unpleasant. It's that. that. But also fog. You know, yeah. sorry, I couldn't come into work fog today. Fog. the international fog. situation. Yeah, and you know, the international situation. And if my boss ever asks me, it's like, well, how dare you question the international situation yeah. to which I am referring? I will not right. tell you. How dare you not know <laughs> what is going on in, in the world? Pick, yeah, pick so, anyone you like. Any, any. Right. There, there's a few actually. Yeah. You know now, but yeah, no. Those are the points. Uh, but I, I do also just kind of like the fact that in the end, the answer was just kind of like sinkhole science, and like it's, <laughs> it it's really not any more special sinkhole. than that. <laughs> Alle- allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. If you ask allegedly. the brothers. Yeah, well, the spooky little that cube. Treasure's still out there. What about that yeah. boy? <laughs> well, yeah, think about that. Alex, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of What? What a pleasure to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Big fan. What a time. It was fantastic. So actually thank the two of y'all. Would you say what a time to be a whatchamacallit? Absolutely. Chelsea, um, <laughs> I beat you. How do you feel? Um, hurt. I got 11 But points. also I feel like I really set myself up for it by reminding Alex of the Whopper Jr. <laughs> incident yeah. right before mm-hmm. asking him to screw yeah. me. Not cool. Not <laughs> so cool that one is all. on you. Uh, I accept defeat. Alex, where can people find you? Uh, people can find me at Alex underscore M underscore Perez uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And that's that's me, baby. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. And you can find this podcast at WhatPod on Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, uh, Facebook. I don't know. Loads of things. And you can find our website at thosetwogirls.club. Uh, if, you really got, if you guys really enjoy listening to this podcast, please take a screenshot of it and tag it with us on social media with that screenshot of you guys listening. It does uh, wonders for helping the people to find the podcast words. Um, and in this week, I don't know, maybe mm, go learn something. Hey, Alex. Yes. When you're sleeping on my couch tonight, mm-hmm. I'm going to need you to keep it loose, keep it tight, and you better say your prayers at She'll night. find you. Or God will know. God will. God's on trial, too. God on trial. <laughs> <laughs>